0: I'm just over here, and I declare, using language as a tool to define my world and my experience of reality, I declare that you are good.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Ryan Watts Life Coaching Podcast. This is Ryan. You can find us online at com forward slash success IQ, and you can find your... Success IQ assessment there, a very powerful tool to help you find out and empower your success. So today I have super, super special uh, podcast. This is with my dear friend and coach, Scott Consinity from Automythic uh, Coaching. You can find him online at automythic.com, um, super Super awesome conversation here. Uh, It it was quite some time ago. So um, the discussion ventures into philosophical and existential territories. Um, We talk about the nature of good and evil, the impact of personal stories on our lives, the concept of healing. And, you know, Scott has just a compelling viewpoint on human goodness. Um, His assertion is that the capacity for care and love is fundamental to the human experience. And he really talks about storytelling in an exciting way and how it, and he discusses how it shapes our perceptions um, and how embracing our stories uh, is important for personal growth. Um, But Scott is out to create a safe space for individuals to explore their deepest selves, guiding them towards healing and self-realization. This conversation is rich with metaphors personal anecdotes and is a testament to Scott's belief in the transformative power of love understanding and uh, the arts and so without further ado uh, Scott Kinzinity Scott Kinzinity artist, wizard psychopom, you might have to kind of elaborate on that last one for some of us here but um I'm always excited to talk to you, man. Thanks for doing this. Oh, You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. So I, I <laughs> that. that is the signature from your um, email. And talk about those a little bit. Actually, I said psychopomp might need some explaining, but your artist, wizard, psychopomp, life coach, kind of go through those things for us and tell us a little bit about who you are.
0: Yeah, gosh, I—I I mean, one that's that's not on there that that does move through there a lot too is uh, storyteller. So each one of these things is kind of a little bit of a different thing, but uh, storyteller is how they all arrive, right? So um, yeah, I'm an I'm an artist. I've been an artist since I was a little kid. I, I at a uh, a knowledge bowl when I was like 12. They asked all of us like, what you know, what are we going to do when we grow up? Or what we are, whatever. And I and I was like I'm an artist you know <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure why and it shows up in different ways I I actually make fine art like I do uh portraiture and draw um I do tattoos once in a while I've done all my own tattoos on my own body um right. I designed and and tattooed
1: and you um, actually did the needlework yeah yeah that's um, inc- that's incredible I didn't know that
0: that's why they're all on my left side. <laughs> I got to use my right hand. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, I, you know, it's, and I also am a musician and I write music. I write songs. I write lyrics, uh, which are a big part of the storytelling component of, of my, my being, my, uh, you know, vocation doesn't capture it. It's kind of what comes out. Right. Right. Uh, so art is in all of that, and I've had to look at life and say, like, what does it mean to be an artist? Because I do these different things, and what, how are they all? I mean, you know, some people say I'm an artist, and I just I write poetry; it's what I do, you know, uh, or I I paint, uh, which I also paint. I've done murals, and um,
1: yeah, like it, it's more of an integration into life. It's like art.
0: Yeah, well, it's art for something. It's art to express something. And what the thing is, is, well, I mean, I, I would say that what the thing is, is soul. It's something that comes through and comes out. And for me, it's not like, oh, it comes out just as this or just as, you know, painting or just as drawing or music. It's just something that comes out and then it loves to find mediums and then, you know, use those to, to pour into the world. Um, so artist shows up there. Um, and, uh, my, one of my goals or functions in life is to learn continually how to get out of the way so that it can do that, you know, and that would show up as like, um, like, Oh, this isn't good enough, you know, or I'm not good at this or I don't know what to, what art to make, you know, or something like that. Um, and I've just over the past—I'm—I'm I'm 45 years old, and over the past, I'll say, 40 years, you know, I've been slowly and quickly at times, but uh, you know, getting that stuff out of the way so that really the soul that comes through me doesn't get blocked up.
1: And it's yeah. It's- it's, you've always been this way. I know that I heard you share a story about when you were younger, I believe like 16 years old. And one of your teachers telling you that you were one of the few students that you had that could actually be a poet.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I was, I was, I, was, I think 19 at that time, it was in college and it was a beginning level poetry class, which, you know, a lot of people take that. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I, I wrote a piece. I thought it was really fun. And uh, I mean, oddly, I'll just I don't know if this is relevant or not, but I'll say that the piece was the assignment was to write a sound poem. So everyone was supposed to take a categorical list of words like you could take, a, you know, phenotypes of birds, you know, and then you just write a poem and it's not narrative. It's it's just sounds. And uh, the category that I chose just from nothing was uh, sexual euphemisms. I uh, just thought it was fun, and I wrote a poem based on that. And then the teacher read people's poems from the class, and I was like, I really like mine. Like maybe she, she gave me a, like a ten out of ten. So like maybe she'll read mine, and and she didn't. And at the end of the class, I went up to her and was like, Hey, well, uh, you know, you, you said mine was really good. Like you gave me the full score. Like why didn't you read it? Uh, and she said that she didn't know if uh, people in a beginning poetry writing class had the maturity to to hear my poem and appreciate it on the level at which it was written, yeah. And I was like, "Wow, that feels weird." And she's like, "Yeah, I just want you to know that I've, you know, in like twenty years of teaching, you're one of two people that I, I think could actually potentially be a poet." Yeah, um, yeah. And at the time, we're going to weave lots of things in here. You know, the uh, mm-hmm. hero's journey yeah. is a is a thing. And we've talked about that. Uh, uh quite a bit, but it's you know one of the components early on in the hero's journey is the call to you know move into this other world, right? And uh, and the hero denies the call. And for me, that shows up as that. When she told me that it freaked me out. I was a young guy. I, as something was coming through me. I had no idea what it was, what makes it good, you know? Yeah. And that was uh in fact I experienced it, it as really scary. And, and what I told her at the time was I wish you had said that. Yeah. Because I have no idea what you're talking about, you know, that you should experience experience in this special way. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, I,
1: what strikes me about these stories, and, and you know, you, you basically have said that you're involved in just about every type of art from poetry to painting to music, you know, is that there's there's been – an open, a, an open gate of expression that's kind of been a, a theme, at least throughout all your life, um, that it seems like your teacher when you were 19, uh, me working with you, um, other people in the community, the Highest Life Design community, have, have uh, really, uh, you know, it's really powerful to be in the presence of that. And it just seems like, I guess my first question for you, is there ever a time where, you know, as that artistic expression, was there ever a time where it wasn't as strong or, or it kind of like went away or was there anything that was blocked or anything like that? It...
0: Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's been times in my life where uh, it's definitely been more chill. I, uh, my, my family recently went through, over the past year and a half, through two uh, experiences of death Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I pretty much didn't make much art. I mean, I made a little, I made a little bit of art. I, I can kind of like make it happen, I guess, but it didn't feel as, uh, coming from, uh, a natural expression so much as like a practice, which is, you know, also good, and I mean, I would even hesitate to make that distinction. If you practice something, like you, you know, practice involves structure, it involves skill improvement, and it involves overcoming the things that stop us. That's one of the I, one of the reasons why practices are so important. Uh, is that that structure has us, you know, sit down, put your butt in the chair, <laughs> and confront something, get something done, uh, and so I think during that. Much of the time over the course of my life, the, the arising the art, art of the art would be a natural expression It would just be like I don't know. I'm, I had a job, you know, working you know nine to five, and uh, I had uh, two young children. There was a while where that was. I mean, I still have two two young children, but there was a while where they were very young, yeah. and I would like get home from work, and I would like need to draw. And also like I had just, there was, there was dinner, there was the kids and their attention. And, and, uh, and so I would get home from work like 10 minutes early and I had my art bag with me and I'd whip my art bag out and I would just try to draw as quickly as I could. in the next like 10, 15 minutes before I went inside the house because it, I couldn't help it, you know? Yeah. Um, but during this grief process, it was almost like the opposite of that. Um, I could constantly help not doing it. You know? <laughs> I couldn't help doing it before. Now I could, I could all the time help to not do it. Sure. And uh, it took practice in order for it to come out during that, that time. That's kind of chilled out. I tried writing a song. I tried to write a couple songs and they were, it was just like, stop, start, stop, start. This isn't working. This isn't working. And I, and I just relax and it's okay. Yeah. You know? um, yeah
1: interesting well I think that was that was more for me because i am also an artist, but it is dramatically waned you know when i i mean i was, I think I went through a seven year period where I didn't write a song, and you know i had wrote yeah. out and written four albums with the songs, yeah, I'm just curious there um, yeah. where does wizardry tie into this well
0: uh, <laughs> yeah, so wizardry is. So Robert Heinlein science fiction author he he said that uh any technology sufficiently advanced would appear as if it's magic that was a a, a statement an observation that he made or a, as a science fiction writer writing about aliens and weird stuff you know and i took that and, and thought about it and and my my correlate to that is like i look at my computer and it's doing all sorts of amazing things. It has a machine language, and I mean, I can dabble in light programming, but what I do with that is nothing like what I actually see on my, you know, computer. So, to me, that is a technology sufficiently advanced that I can allow it in my mind. I, I could dig in. And I could, you know, dedicate myself to computer engineering, computer science to understand it, or I can just be like, you know what, categorically magic i'll just call it that that's fine uh and it's really beautiful because i actually also i grew up in my teens i i was really into escapist fantasy not in a bad way like i wasn't trying to escape from something other than just i don't know being a bored teen right but i love fantasy where there people shoot fireballs and you know fly on the horses and uh, high fantasy and eventually i uh Shifted over to science fiction because it was like at least a little bit more grounded in more reality, Uh and then later, I, as a as a adult the, in my twenties, I went through this phase where I got very sad, and I felt like, oh, there's no magic in the world, like that's. I just have to give that up. I I longed to be able to, you know, shoot a fireball (laughs) out of my hands or cast a spell or whatever. And it just didn't seem like that's the world that we have, you know. And I felt very sad about that. And then I, you know, in the world of science fiction, I I knew about Heinlein's technology sufficiently advanced quote. And then I started looking at things that I don't understand in the world that are, you know, advanced things. and, And then I just started declaring that they're magic. as as a way to see the magic that actually is in the world, just because it doesn't look like it looks in uh, Tolkien, you know, or, uh, uh, oh gosh, I used to read, well, Brandon Sanderson or or whatever. uh, Just because it doesn't look like that doesn't mean there's not magic. It's just that we think we live in a normal world Mm -hmm. where there isn't magic. And so I have to define magic as something in order to see it. And again, computers, easy, right? Then something like added another correlate to it, which is people who are really self expressed, who are operating outside of kind of standard oppressions like little O oppressions like 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 you're supposed to be this way you know you should wear a collared shirt and a tie and you should get a job in an office and you should do things like that which is all fine you know but people who are making choices based on what is externally expected of them are living a very normal life and people who are And again, no shade on that. Like, I understand, and I think we all move through different kinds of components of that and live in those ways here and there. Um, But I think that people who are being what we might call weird, you know, who are listening to the voice that's inside of them that is different than the one that says be normal, meet expectations. Yeah. Uh, They are going to have thoughts that I would never have. And it's not quite a technology sufficiently advanced, but it's a thing that I get to not understand. Yeah. I get to get that there's a brain over there, which is more complex than a a computer, like, you know, so vastly more complex than a computer, that the the things that are going on inside of that, you know, skull are, uh, if they're coming out in a way that is not, meeting external expectations, then that gets to be magic too. Yeah. So a person who is living a practice of relaxing the part of them that's trying to meet societal expectations Mm -hmm. and opening up to the distinct qualities of of self-expression, that come through them because of the you know to say their genetics their environment their um uh, relationships and the stories that are they're telling themselves about their how their life is just how it is the distinction of it um the more one does that the more one becomes a wizard so that to me is really what a wizard is like and when I look back at my life, that's that's just there.
1: You know, I can't help but just think of, like, the profundity of, of what you just said. And I just... At what point in your life did you come to this idea?
0: The wizard idea? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, gosh, I mean, that's been a slow burn for a while. I, I will say that uh, I...
2: In my, I mean, there's a kind of a way to get there, I guess. Um, and that I had my first child
0: in 2010 and prior to that, I smoked cannabis, uh, almost every day. And I didn't enjoy it. It was clearly a coping mechanism. And I experienced it on an addictive level. I wanted to stop. I tried to stop before, uh, several times. And it was always like, I could stop for a while, as long as I put a date on the calendar in the future where I was going to do it again. So it was just like, I could, was like putting it off, not actually quitting. Uh, and then right before my first child was born, uh, there's a little story in here and I'll I'll just tell it like I, I thought to myself uh, about 30 days out, I had decided that I was, I wanted to be kind of a clean system for the birth of my child. So I was like 30 days, you know? Uh, And so I was 15 days into my 30 days of sobriety before the birth of my child. And I I remember I was driving through a particular intersection in Seattle and I just had this, my thoughts just kind of like coalesced into this thing where I, I noticed that I was having rumination, was having thoughts about when it was appropriate to go smoke again. Yeah, And I was like, I'm not going to smoke around my baby. Mm-hmm. I just, I have a boundary there. I'm not going to smoke, uh, you know, around my wife. Uh, and I don't even want to be under the influence. I don't want to be stoned around my, my baby either, because I don't want my baby to look at my eyes and be like, oh, Papa's uh, not here, you know? Yeah. He seems like he's here, but he's made a choice that hasn't been not present in some sort of, way it might you know my kid obviously probably isn't going to understand that I don't want to have them them have that feeling or whatever it is that might tell them that their dad's checked out you know yeah so that means I can only smoke if I'm not around my kid for like 24 hours you know or something which means I need to go camping you know and so how long should I wait after my wife has a baby for me to go on a camping trip so that I can get high and again, I was driving into an intersection in Seattle and I noticed all these thoughts and I just it struck me as the most absurd thing in the world that I should be contemplating how soon I should abandon my family so I could get high. And I just the ludicrousness of it the ludicrousness of it had it fall away. Yeah. And I just it was like I was done so so there's that uh six months later fast forward and i'm a dad and i'm struggling it's real hard uh, i you know when people are doing things at an addictive level they're usually doing it for a reason it's, it's serving some purpose or function for them and when you take that away then whatever it is that they're using that to deal with that's still there they just taken away the thing that they're using to cope. Right. And I can't tell you what that thing was, but I can tell you that I felt like an alien. I felt like I had no understanding or capacity for how to relate to this little beautiful baby. Uh, I felt like I'm an ape. I would like copy my wife's behavior, try to do what she does, but uh, none of it felt natural to me. I, I thought I was losing my mind. I, a nervous breakdown, something like that. Yeah. Uh, I had a, Dear friend, recommend that I do a thing, and I, I'm going to say this, and this isn't an advertisement in any, in any respect. But yeah. uh, it's called the Landmark Forum. Mm-hmm. I did that, Uh, and there I had an experience in there that that had just shifted my consciousness, such that I came out of it, and I felt I felt okay. I felt like I had been holding my life in certain rigid kinds of understandings, understandings of things, and that there was a release that had occurred and now I had a lot more freedom to, to, it's so funny. It's so hard to talk about, to loosen up, you know, uh, in, in landmark methodology, you could say that I experienced transformation. That's what you call it. Uh, new views are open, new ways of being are available because I had destroyed some rigid thought patterns that existed. Um, from there, uh, I've, I've done some landmark work off and on again, Uh, This isn't a recommendation for them, and it's a thing. But I will say that I think that it's a powerful thing; it can make a difference for a lot of people. Um, It's okay if people don't do it as well. Uh, And I don't; I'm not associated with Landmark anymore. uh, But I have got a ton out of that work. Yeah. And I would say, through the arc of, or kind of. Somewhere in there was a moment that I that really I think kickstarted the idea that like I get to be a wizard. I think I had already navigated the idea that magic was out there. But it was in there maybe that I shifted to the idea of magic as something that comes through me when I release my uh, tendency to live into other people's expectations.
1: Well, that's really powerful. <laughs> you know, so so far on this, I think I had kind of an agenda and a topic that I wanted to dig down into. But this is what I love about this: is that we are down, a, we are way down another road that is just alive with things to talk about. So you had this experience where it sounds like it's kind of funny. What I asked you about the artistic like contraction, it seems like almost what you're describing where with the story regarding the wizardry, where you kind of had this experience where, you know, you cut out um, using a substance that was helping you, you know, escape some pain or discomfort or whatever. And you had made a commitment to do that. And after six months, you're like, there's gotta be something else here. I'm losing my mind. Um, That kind of, I, I think that's more of what I was referring to. And the fact that you come out the other side of that with wizardry is just really uh beautiful. And it really makes me it really makes me realize the 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 you have such a potent way of making your experiences relatable and applicable to people's own lives. And maybe um this leads us to the third part of your signature, which is psychopomp. What what, is, what does that mean, Scott?
0: Yeah, psychopomp is a spiritual guide. So uh, I think the example that jumps to the front of my mind is uh, in the Divine Comedy, Dante, who's the author. He It's uh, a story about him moving through these strange life experiences. He's in, in a, uh, a lost forest and then he goes through hell and then purgatory and then heaven. And he's, he's wandering in this forest. He's lost until uh, he meets a guy named Virgil who is like, Oh, come over here. Here's how you get out. You start by going through this gate over here and it's the gate to hell. And it says, you know, uh, abandon hope all you enter here uh, and he's like i don't know that sounds pretty intense and and virgil is like Look, don't worry about it you're going to learn a lot uh here's you know how to do it is you you just observe you can ask questions but don't get hooked up or you know hung up in anything you see and we're going to get through this and on the other side you're going to be your whole life will be experienced differently uh, and so that's really I think the archetypal example of a psychopomp yeah. is a really a spiritual guide. And you can, you can, you know, in ways like Yoda is a psychopomp yeah. uh, in the way that he guides Luke to have an awakening to his understanding of the use of the force. Um, yeah, so I, you know it's it's bold of me I, uh, and a little bit playful to like say that I'm a psychopomp because in the hero's journey idea or in a lot of these things psychopomps usually uh, arise, it's like you don't like hire a psychopomp. It's like you are in the lost forest of your life and someone shows up, and if you're noticing or paying attention in the right way, you'll be like. Uh, oh, you're my psychopomp, you know. You're here to point me in a direction to help me get out of this lost place, you know. So psychopomps more are like, we're us, and then a psychopomp will show up. So for me to say that I'm a psychopomp is, uh, again, playful and bold, uh, but also reflecting of what you're talking about. You know, I've had enough conversations with people where uh, – through the way that I relate information or tell a story, or listen to them and land something over in their world, uh, that they have a shift in cognition and uh, consciousness. That I'm like, I seem to be a psychopomp. You know, it shows up enough that I'm like, all right, I'll just declare that.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I can I can certainly see it. Um, so, with we've just spent a while talking about just your, the depth of your email signature, right? So <laughs> artist, wizard, psychopomp, what is the, what's the commonality in there? Yeah, well, I,
0: I mean, that's, that's the interesting thing uh, because I will go through and as an artist, I'll go through phases where I like, I just draw for a while or I'll go through a phase where I just play music and don't draw, or, well, you know, or I'll just like really write a whole bunch and, uh, And, you know, I, like I said, look for the commonalities, look for what are all these things in service of. Yeah. Uh, And I look at the idea of vocation in our society. We have words that describe jobs like a fireman, you know, or an artist or a stockbroker, you know, uh, or, or a doctor or anything. Right. Mm -hmm. And, I also look at the technology that we use every day called language. So language is it's almost like this is the water that we swim in and so we don't realize that it's there and it is a technology. But for the vast majority of the evolution of beings that became humans, and even for the vast majority of human history before it started getting recorded in any way. Uh, we didn't have language. Yeah. And so people did live in social groups, and they had functioning, social, they, they had order, they had structure, they, so some people would hunt, some people would gather, you know, some people would... Um, protect the fire, you know, and some people would do like all sorts of various things that would allow for the health of that social group, which is why it persisted in such a fashion as to make the next social group and the next beings and the next social group that uh, eventually led to us. And the ones that weren't successful at that, they're not around. Their genetics died. And so we are uh, born out of a river of DNA that has led us to this place. And back there for the majority of us becoming who we are, we didn't actually have language yeah. or, or it was a primal language. Maybe you could say a grunt, some things. I don't know. Uh, I, you know, it wasn't there, but, uh, <laughs> but the idea of a vocation like, a a doctor or a fireman or a stockbroker, yeah. um, is so radically new that to relate to it on a primal level of like this is who I am has yeah. some absurdity in that, yeah, there's nothing in our genes that has us be a stockbroker, you know mm-hmm. uh or anything else uh, so language itself we can use labels to apply to these vocations or these. These things that people, you know, get paid for in our capitalist society, right? Yeah. But to say, who am I? You know, if I, if I choose to be a stockbroker, again, that's me living into an externally designed and not imposed if I choose it, right? It's not imposed. But it's like a it's like a box. It's like you can be in this box or you can be in this box or this box or this box or this box. And over here, I'm like, I don't want to be in any of these boxes like because none of them quite fit me. I've been many different things. I was a sandwich artist. <laughs> for a while, uh, you know, uh, uh, in college, and I was, uh, I've been a uh, graphic designer, and that was cool, too, you know. Uh, uh, oh, gosh, I, I was a blood collection technician. I went around, and, and blood? for the blood drives, I, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, got, I I worked for a nonprofit organization here in the Seattle area. It was, it's called Blood Works Northwest. Yeah. I would go to people's offices and stab them and drain their blood for to share with other people. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm playful about that, but but like that's there's that's a box, you know. Uh, and so all of these labels that we have for jobs are all boxes. Yeah. And every box I've ever put myself in didn't ever quite fit right. Yeah. And I looked for a lot of boxes, and I've never found one that really, really fit. And I think the reason is that the thing that comes through me, what I what I call soul, yeah, is distinct. Mm-hmm. And I think this is true of everybody. To be clear, but it's something that doesn't exist categorically within language. And that's because, for the most of the thing, you know, history of the the process of becoming humans, contemporary humans, we didn't have language, and so the things that were designed to be in this way, or selected to be, uh, don't have names. They're pre primarily verbal. Yeah.
1: So, you know, what but, strikes me when ahead. you're doing this is it just, I think it's like your level of certainty. Even when you're talking about the artistry, you know, uh, you just... You always were like, Well, I'm I, I express in different ways, and you know, then there's this kind of you know, when you're talking about wizard, you know, that's really how you understand how you've come to understand the world that there's this oh, the things I don't understand are magical and miraculous, you know, and then your experience is so kind of powerful that you can now in your own business as a life coach, you can now help guide them through some of this stuff. But I think that's the thing that really, really is powerful about every time I interact with you is that you take these really kind of abstract nebulous things and you can, you have the ability to articulate them um, in a very tangible way. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's kind of, It's it's profound there. And you also mentioned, too, that you're a storyteller. Well, you certainly are. I I don't know many people who could put what you just said into the words, into the language, or use the technology of language to express what you just said.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, In a way... You know we could go we could go to many different places from here, but uh I find that it's like
2: to really get who you are, you
0: have to relax to notice where you're meeting expectations. Notice the qualities you know first of all, notice whether you like some of those things or not, or whether it's entirely like "Oh, I am a round peg in a square hole you know or a square peg in a round hole uh, if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you right but but sometimes you'll be doing a thing, and some part of it feels like it feels good or profoundly relates, other parts of it don't yeah, and you know you can so you can kind of notice the qualities that. That su- that suit you, that kind of roll through, uh, and then you notice know, the ones that don't, and then you take this over here, this part, and then you say, okay, now I'm going to look for a job where I still have this, but I don't have that, and maybe have some other part, right? And so you can go around and you you like collect things that that feel like a natural arising or expression, and uh, you know you may never find a, a job that. Is all of those things, but you can start to get a sense that there's a there are distinct qualities of a person that that are part of your wizardry, you know. And I, I think of it as talking around, so the thing that I am, uh, doesn't have a, la- a name, it doesn't have a label. Mm-hmm. What I can do is I can use language to like describe the edge of it, yeah. and then I can like describe some edge that comes around over here and some you know edge that comes around over here until I've made like a silhouette of a being that is a an expression of like what this one is. Mm-hmm. I have to use language to do that language and experience listening inside uh, but I don't expect that I'll ever find a hole that fits me. Yeah, And so that's fine, you know, and, I, and that's why I have the last one on there, which is life coach, because um, all of these things seem to come together in a way that I get that I love people. I love communicating. I love telling stories. I love creating shifts in consciousness. I love being a wizard. I love making art yeah. and all of this is all useful to be with people such that I create a space and a possibility and uh, a communication that may uh, cause shifts in consciousness, shifts in cognition, and so I'm like, oh, okay, that's maybe that's about closest. I, you know, maybe I'm like, a, I, <laughs> I don't know if this is culturally appropriate to say, but I'll say maybe I'm like the witch doctor or a shaman yeah. or something like that. You know, I don't want to put. I'm not. I don't have any like native uh, ancestry, uh, not aware of anything like that. So I don't want to say I'm a shaman, you know, but like, that is a really primal vocation. Yeah. You no, know? there is a role that existed for human beings, which was to like, see, you know, magic and uh, cause things to rise out of people. And, uh, you know, so I, again, I want, I just want to be really sensitive and not, Sure, claim something that is not appropriate for me to claim as a you know, I'm a white male dude from uh the northwest, and uh, and there's something really important that happens in my to me at some point, of, really very recently, it all became storytelling, yeah, like all of it because that's the technology of language, that's really what that is, is storytelling. Yeah. It shows up in, I mean, even in single words, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I recently got, I guess, <laughs> or uh, that I've noticed for a long time, maybe, but that we are all in the process constantly of telling ourselves the stories of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um, I, my business as a life coach, I, the name of that is auto auto-mythic Coaching. I chose that because mythology is where we tend to like look for meaningful stories uh, and we don't tend to relate to them necessarily as true, but we think that there's like, some important meaning in them that's why we tell them uh, and we can look at the history of you know of recorded history of humanity and find all of these mythologies and stories that are where all these themes show up that are important that, yeah. because they keep reoccurring. Uh, you can look through different, you know, pantheonic mythologies, uh, of of cultural humans and and look at characteristics of the, of the gods that they wrote about, um, and get all sorts of information about them. Like I, I, I love Greek mythology. Uh, one of the things that jumps out about Greek mythology is that the gods in it are, um, really awful awful people <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah like they <laughs> they are wielding power in a way that has humans suffer uh and it's just it's just amazing again and again and again You think oh they might be kind and once in a while they do a kind thing and It's like oh but really like they want you to suffer because if you suffer then you will uh uh, sacrifice more, you know, be more obese to try to get them to do favors for you or whatever. And that's like, those are major themes in it, you know. But when I look at that, I look at that, the mythology that existed there and it was like, oh, what these people are doing is trying to tell stories that connect them to a universe that they experience as harsh. Yeah. 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 Uh, was, and the people, and and they're assigning power over there, right? They're externalizing power saying this is happening to us and the things that are causing it to happen don't seem to really like us very much. Yeah. Uh, So they're trying to explain their experience, make a sense-making story out of what's happening. And what's happening is really harsh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But they still have this external experience of of godness, of uh, divinity. Yeah. And, and if you look at the history of divinity through these cultural lenses, lenses that changes and go through it goes through several different forms. Um, what and it? I'll say, I very – What's that?
1: I'm sorry. I was just going to say, it is funny that it, I mean, I literally am sitting here trying to think of something that I don't explain to myself in the form of a story. I mean, everything. Mm-hmm. From planning your day, it's like okay, I'm going to get up and go to the bathroom and then, you know and then you might have something like i can't be too loud i'm gonna wake up so and so or like everything is a story and we're still no. you know mythologizing our lives even to maybe it's to a less divine degree but with everything that we do with all these stories that we're telling ourselves yes
0: constantly i mean and that's i think that's one of the features or functions of consciousness itself uh i i've at times have defined consciousness as in fact just the ability to tell stories is what yeah. consciousness is uh, that's a we you know one loose definition uh, I don't know if that's in a, any book anywhere but um, it's just an observation right and we do we tell ourselves stories on a daily level about like whether you're early or late or you know whether you have breakfast or whether you're somebody's upset with you or whether you you know uh, but we also t- tell ourselves a story about our place in the world. Yeah. And there are things that we experience as true. And we think that those things are, uh, well, we think they're true. Mm -hmm. And when they're true, we experience them with, with rigidity. Yeah. Uh, And if they're really, really true, we experience them as a belief. Mm -hmm. And so this is where to me, mythology comes in as well. everybody has beliefs and those beliefs tend to be pretty rigid. That's why they're beliefs. And I think the difference between a belief and a belief and another thought is that a belief is a thought that you relate to as, uh, immovable, rigid, uh, just true. Yeah. You don't really question it until you do. Right. Mm-hmm. So the process of, writing our belief systems internally for how we experience our relationship with the world is auto mythic we're doing it yeah we experience it on this in this special category of not just how my day is but why I'm here yeah. the mythology of my existence and we relate it often to some sort of a divine concept like a God or a spiritual practice or just spiritual ideas yeah. and and there's a default quality to it because those stories do pre-exist us in our culture so we, we you know one day we become conscious we were born, we become conscious, we look around and somebody's like, "Oh, it's Sunday, and we're going to go you know, sit here in this place and somebody's gonna to talk to us about heaven and hell and how to be good or bad and uh and that's how we get our beliefs, you know. They're they're kind of given to us, but they don't that doesn't make them true. That just makes them like
1: inherited. So in your you know, in your work as a, a life coach, you know, it it also you know, research shows that all of us have beliefs that are false. It's just kind of like a human, a human thing, you know? So um, there are some of us that have destructive beliefs. Like you might, um, you know, whatever, you might believe that you are not good enough for something, or can we get into those categories of beliefs that are kind of um, destructive? Um, How do you work with those belief systems with your clients?
0: Yeah. I mean that's a great question and and it you know there's a component of it that always has to be speaking into the listening of uh their world right so so some of it has to do with really getting a sense of what's going on over there uh and speaking into it means that I have to have a radical level of listening to them so that I know what their world is so that when I speak, I can speak into their world. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the first quality of, you know, of what you're saying is uh, or what you're asking is, um, to practice a really rich, safe, vast style of listening so that, the so that, you, as my client, feel that this is a space—the space that we co-create—is uh, a space that you can be authentic in. So the stories that you tell me are the stories that you experience as true, and not extro- and not just stories that you're telling me in order to like look good or to avoid looking bad, yeah. um, or that you think I want to hear, or that you just never get to because it's not safe.
1: So how do you how do you help create that safety for your clients?
0: Yeah, um, well, there's a few different a things that I do. One of them is
2: uh, we could talk
0: all day, Ryan. I just want to say that.
1: <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, but uh, one of them is that I. One of them is that I love you. that I come from a place where
2: love is preexistent.
0: And when you are with me, you get to experience that love.
1: One of the conversations we ever had, I just, this is, this is applicable here. Um, You made an interesting comment. You said um, you were sharing a story and a certain part of the story, you expressed um, something to the effect of, I already love everyone. Sometimes it's harder to uncover that love with certain people. And I just I remember being taken aback by that. And it was almost like some people could have said that and it could have been like a snide kind of like you know, but you know, the look in your eyes was I'm professing my belief on love here. Like you said, it's pre existing.
2: Yeah. Well,
0: most of us—I I want to say all—but I always am cautious with uh, hyperbole, right? But most humans, in my experience, are—they uh, carry some core attachment wounds. Yeah, and that—that that comes from the realm of psychology, right? But uh, but within those core attachment wounds, they—they they have some story. Um, based on the very, very early years of their childhood when they before they even had words or language themselves, whereas they had just some experiences that some of them maybe would have been very harsh and some of them maybe would have been very simple, but they just uh, weren't connected with as a utterly vulnerable you know being who didn't have narrative memory online or anything like that yet, and some quality of that they come out of that with a story or experience inside of themselves when they do get la language that occurs on a level, on a deep, deep feeling level of like, I'm not sure if I am good. Yeah, I'm not sure if I am lovable or worthy of being loved or, or, or even safe. And they carry that and they go around and they look for evidence in the world for that they're not because they suspect that it's true. Or they look for relationships in the world that try to give them what they don't have, which is a sense of safety or someone to love them so that they can know that they are lovable because they're afraid that they're not, you know, those sorts of things. Uh, And that's really very normal. Yeah. And so I, instead of being with someone and deciding like, oh, should I love them or not? How are they? Yeah. Yeah. Are they good? Or I don't know. Let's spend a little more time getting to know you. Um, I'm just over here, and I declare using language as a tool to define my world and my experience of reality. I declare that you are good. I declare that you are worthy of love. And I choose to cause my own internal experience of love, which is mine, I'm not giving it to you. I choose myself to um, feed my experience of love. It's like a fire over here. And I put logs on the fire when I'm with you. And so it rises up, it flares up. And then when you're with me, then you get to see me being loving with you. Yeah. And the conveyance of that then is that you are worthy of that love that you are good, that you're welcome here. that space for me, I very consciously created as a coach. So you have all the safety that you need to speak into this co-created space in an authentic way without being judged.
1: You're speaking directly to that wound, that primal wound. Mm
0: Yeah, that's
1: awesome. That's right. Can I ask you a difficult question? <laughs> yeah. Do you believe in evil? Oh gosh, um, I mean, I think that it yeah,
0: depends on how you define. It. I, I, uh, I could.
1: You know, go we're, we're in, in conversations with people, I, I just this question came up because you were, you know, so faithfully setting the, the space for your clients or you were describing that experience and you were saying, you know, you, you're you good. And, you know, I, I've had conversations with people who kind of believe that there is just a force out there of destruction, you know, and, and for the sake of destruction, right? Whereas I kind of, I tend to, I I don't know that I've landed on either side of this argument yet but I tend to believe that people are acting out of that primal primal wound sometimes so they might think uh for instance I learned this very young in anger management okay um that because I had a very very bad temper when I was younger but what I was doing was I was expressing to people how they were making me feel in a very external way, you know, punching holes, in yeah. hole, throwing things. Did the other person think that, did they think that, hmm, well, I'm making him feel that way? No. They were thinking this person is, is acting evil. Right. But, mm-hmm. um, so I just wondered what you thought about that. I, I don't know how to exactly define it, but um, are people fundamentally good? Or are there people who were born out there just to create chaos? Um, I guess we could never really know the answer. I just thought it was an interesting question.
0: Yeah, sure. Well, and I and I, mean, I can speak to that. I, I, do I believe in evil on an archetypal level, as in like there is a, some sort of a mythical agent that is sowing chaos in human society, uh, like the devil, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, not at all. Absolutely not. Sure. Um do I believe that that uh, there are conditions of human consciousness or variations of human consciousness that uh, sow chaos? Um, yeah, sure. You know, I think that uh, I, I take a few. I mean, there's a few features of that that I would definitely want to kind of put together, which. Uh, one of them is that i also psychopathy is real i think that there is a every aspect of human consciousness exists on a continuum you know so there are people who some people like feel everything and some people like feel nothing you know and then everybody is in between you know but there are always you know there are always a few people on that, the the outer lips of the bell curve you know on every continuum that you can create about being good at math you know or uh, the the ability to dance or uh, think really abstract thoughts, you know. Right. Uh, and so with the, with respect to that, I, and I do know you know, through psychology that psychopathy is a real thing. I don't think that that's evil. I think that's just a, a general way of relating sociopathy, a different way of relating to humans as whether or not they have validity as, as coexisters, you know, uh, to a person who is in a state of sociopathy. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, narcissism, Right, uh,
2: I think that there are slivers
0: of human um, experience that do live in these areas. I don't think that that's evil, I think it's variation, it's uh, neurodiversity. Yeah, uh, I don't think that it's good or bad. I think that how it functions or the way people, you know, how that experience causes them to like coexist can be dangerous. Can rob safety from a space. I think that is true. I also think that statistically that's just very, very rare. Yeah. And so I don't bring it into my space as something that I'm concerned about. If you and I are talking and you're you know you have come to me as a life coach on some level. You've heard about this, you're curious, you want to have a conversation with me because you're like trying to deal with something. Um, it's just extremely unlikely that you're a sociopath. Yeah. Like, in general, and in the filter of people who are going to try to find me because they want to overcome some issues so that they can fulfill their lives or, or, or deepen their spiritual understanding
1: of yeah. um, you know something. I guess what becomes relevant is is it's like is there um is there healing available for everyone you see the, the yeah key there? because you know it seems to me if there was um not that I was trying to set you up <laughs> but if there's somebody that yeah. wow, there are some people that are just born evil um it would make it difficult for you to work with them as a life coach to you know, create healing in their life.
0: Yeah, maybe, you know, I mean, we're getting into a hypothetical that I, I don't uh, have any experience with. Sure. So I want to be really careful in speaking about it because I, I, it's something that I've only observed through either books or popular media, which, you know, I, I watched uh, all of the last season of Dexter you know, I don't know if you've seen that show. Uh, and I really enjoyed it, you know, but it's like, well, what's evil? Is that character evil? Is he, you know, he's doing terrible things, but he was only killing people who kill other people. And like, ah, and he chops them up. And I mean, gosh, <laughs> uh, but I would say that, you know, there's, I think there was healing for that guy. You know, I again, popular media is, is just uh, some stories and,
1: I apologize about taking us off the rails. That just kind of popped. No, no,
0: it's okay, and I think it's an interesting question. Um, the answer that I that I choose to give as a storyteller slash wizard slash psychopomp yeah. slash life coach yeah. is that there's healing available for everyone. Sure. Uh, another thing I bring to that conversation is that hurt people hurt people. Yes. So usually when someone is acting out in such a fashion as to cause someone else to hurt, it's either through, uh, negligence, uh, like lack of awareness, you know, uh, or it's unintended consequence. Um, or it is comes from an aggression that is there because they are wounded or hurt.
1: You know, there's two thoughts that come up as I'm listening to you say that. So, Hurt people, hurt people. Um, and then in the new book by uh, uh Gabor Mate, he talks about how um you know there's a difference. There's a distinction between cured and healing, but right? it's like healing is an ongoing process. You don't you don't feel <laughs> you cured, you know, there are two different paths. So, you know, making that distinction, um, do you believe, or I just wondered what, what you're thinking about this, is that if hurt people, hurt people, do healing people help heal other people?
0: Uh, I mean, that's beautiful. And I would say, you know, just on a pure language level, I want to say, yes, of course, because yeah. it works, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I mean, I would think so. I mean, I think that the space of intentional or, or uh, ongoing healing is, is a powerful space. Um, there's a beautiful book. But I'm just trying to see if it's on my bookshelf here. I might have given it away. Sometimes I read a book and it's so amazing. I'm like, here, read this and hand it on to somebody else. Uh, it's it's called Connected. And it is about the science of human social networks. Not like online social networks, but human social networks. So like just people interconnected, like towns, um, clubs, groups business companies, you know, uh, and it makes some really fantastic, really fascinating observations, like on a very non narrative level, just pure observations. Like an example is, um, say if I, I have me in the middle of a drawing and like a circle and then I have everybody that I know. And so those are all lines going out to other circles, right? Yeah. And then those circles are people who have everybody that they know, and those lines go out to other circles, right? So you could draw then, like, a map of levels of separation between people. Yeah. So um, really interesting things have been observed in these kinds of mappings, which are, like, uh if someone in my circle,
2: like someone that I know, um
0: uh, commit suicide. Yeah. I'm not likely. I'm I'm not more likely to commit suicide. I'm less likely to commit suicide. Hmm. But the people who are one more degree removed. So the people that I know who don't know that person, yeah, they statistically are slightly more likely to commit suicide. Wow, really? They don't know that person? Yeah, it's a weird. It's a fascinating thing. Uh, it's also true that if someone in, in a social group starts to uh, lose weight and exercise regularly, yeah, get healthy, you know, physically, uh, they actually, for the whole group, they just subtly shift up the likelihood that that anybody in that group will also start to get healthier. It also is true if they start to gain weight. We are, we're macro animals. Yeah. This is going on around us all the time. We are operating, we're cooperating in the social beasts as part as, as organs within these social animals on levels that we are so completely unaware of, on deep unconscious levels. Uh, so the answer to, you know, do people who are healing, heal, cause healing around them, I would say is yes, with regard to that concept. Yeah. Uh, you know, just because it occurs, uh, and you're like raising, it's like that you're raising the tide for all the boats, you know, and if there's someone else in the circle who is like becoming less healthy, then, you know, maybe you're balancing it out. Right. Or something like that. Yeah. But, uh, but our behavior profoundly affects the people around us in, in these really subtle, subtle ways, you know, uh, like, like you can't see it, but it's just happening.
1: What that makes me think of is, is, um, Alan Watts has this quote where, you know, his belief was that we are, we are the universe's perceptive tool. You know? so yeah, He's like, if you keep looking The universe will keep running. So he's like, this is funny because this is before they discovered the particles that make up quarks. But he's like, they're going to keep looking, and they're going to keep finding more and more subatomic particles because the universe will keep running. (laughs) That was was Interesting because he's like, we're here to perceive, so it will continuously give us things to perceive. And then there was the video that you sent me um, with Dan Siegel, right? Is that, mm-hmm. Yeah, talking, and he was talking about the concept of emergence, and I thought that was interesting, not just because my coaching program is called Emergence, but because he's talking about that science wants to break everything down to its fundamental levels, like. He's, he uses water as the example. He says mm-hmm. water is H2O. And you, it, it, you know, but if you take one water molecule, it's not wet. <laughs> it's like right. so if you put a bunch of them together, then it becomes wet. And we don't really that's emergence. We don't understand why it's wet. <laughs> you know, so yeah, some kind of effect they call emergence where you have kind of that macro connected. Situation that you were describing, where uh, there's a, there's a an effect um, that basically is illustrated by saying, you know, the, the sum is greater than its parts, right? Like water is wet. Yeah. One water molecule is not wet. One human being is an individual, but if we zoom out, we can see the emergence of other effects.
2: Yes. Yeah. I think that. Uh...
0: People, the reason that I hold that people are good and that, you know, when you, when you work with me, I come from a space that you are good. There's many reasons actually, but one of them is that uh, I'm creating that space for you to have that experience because it's going to give you safety to look potentially at places where you've experienced that you're not good. You know, where you suspect that maybe you like have harmed people or done bad things. And if I hold that you're you're good when you're in that space, then that gives you optimally, you know, the spaciousness to recognize that you may have done things that aren't good yeah. while still being good. We all do that. I've hurt people. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm not proud of it but holding the belief that I'm actually a good person allows me to look at the places where I've hurt people and go back and actually make it right, you know, or let go of something that has me go around and continue to do that. And so it's really important that I hold that people are fundamentally good because it's useful. Absolutely. That story, and this is my my modality of all stories, I, as I say, they're neither, the story neither true nor false. Yeah. Because if we start trying to decide whether the story is true, then we're going to spend a lot of time looking for evidence and our finding of the evidence is going to be experienced through our own biases. So, yeah. We're, you know, then locked into an argument that's like about, you know, being argued by people who already have a frequency bias about what they're going to find. And so this truth of whether it's true or not is pointless. It's a, it's a canard. It's like, it's a red herring. Right. Yeah. And I say they're not false. Sure. Because... If we say that they're false, then that's actually confrontational to something that you may have been holding as belief. And then in order to navigate that, you have to like reconsider a bunch of stuff or maybe feel shame or, or, or you just can't even be spoken to in that way because you do fundamentally believe it's true. Right. And so I say well, there's neither true nor false, they're just stories and we're using them for something. Yeah. So the most important feature about any story isn't its veracity. It's what we can use it for. So, why you use that story, you are fundamentally good for, to create a space that, that you have room to heal in, right? Yeah. Having said that, I also believe on a macro-animal level that humans overall are fundamentally good. Yeah. There is this continuum. There are people who are like on the fringes of every single stretch that you can make, right? Sure. But look, we have made about 8 billion of us so far. Yeah. And uh, we've been at this for millions of years. And if humans were not fundamentally good... I don't think that we would be here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that when I say that sentence, I realize, like, okay, now we have to define what good means. You know? Sure. That's sure. just a really vague thing, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, I mean, people have wars, and in our history of humanity, like, people have had massive aggressions wiped out whole, you know, sections of the gene pool and and just done really, really terrible things. Like, if you look at history, it's filled with people behaving badly. <laughs> you know get that right yeah <laughs> but even when you have an army was there to fight a war that army had people who had a social group that supported them to grow up from babies yeah you know uh I mean, that's one of the funny things about humans that makes them different than, you know, most of the other animals is that we have this huge time of formative period of our lives where, I mean, if you leave a baby out in the rain, it'll die. Yeah. You know, Uh, that's not true for most of the other animals that exist in the world.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating.
0: Yeah. So, like, we require a lot, like, years, sustained levels of care intense, constant care in order to survive. And that means
2: on a species level, and
0: that means on a species level, we have something deep inside of us, some mechanics in place that have us be a caretaking species. Yeah we have fights massive disagreements about how things are or should be but none of us would survive to the point that we can have an argument yeah if we weren't coming from a baseline of care
2: and goodness it is a that is a feature of human
0: species
1: yeah, just the way that you said it is profound. So I think it's just your, you can tell that um, your whole being inhabits that when you say it. You know, there's, there's something profound about that, Scott. So if, um, if someone were listening to this and they were like, wow, well, I want more information on how I can coach with uh, Scott Cassidy." How, how would they go about getting a hold of you or, or learning more about your coaching?
0: Yeah, I, well, the easiest way is you can actually email me at Scott atautomythic.com.com. Uh I have a website, automythic.com. It's also there. Um, you uh you can find me on social media uh as well. Uh my name is also Scott Consinity at C-O-N-C-I-N-N-I-T-Y. Uh I am the only, uh, my uh, <laughs> my wife and I and my children are the only consignities that exist in the world. There's a story around that as well. I won't get into it at this moment, but. Uh,
1: oh, well, I would have yeah, at, at some <laughs> point.
0: <laughs> There's no other consignities? Uh, we will t- next podcast, next podcast, okay. no <laughs> other consignities, yeah, next podcast. <laughs> we have to do this again now. Yeah. It's great.
1: Well, yeah, I want to be mindful of your time because we're coming up on our, our agreed uh, ending here. So um, I just want to take a moment and just thank you for uh, the time we spent today. And it's just I'm always amazed at where these go. And I just love the fact that I came in with a topic and we ended up essentially, you know, just talking about kind of uh, the the journey a life journey, right? To, to becoming a guide. Mm, yeah. And do you see it another way?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I, it's all stories. Yeah. And, and it's true that the, the stories that that I told there were stories about how I became, or, uh, well, you know, I, I say became, but also you could say the stories about how I got rid of a bunch of stuff in order to be, this being right. Um, and, and where how I found work as a life coach to be so deeply meaningful as as a psychopomp, you know, I get that the way that we're hurt, the way that we're dealing with challenges and issues in our lives occurs on these deep unconscious levels. Um, I call that, uh, one of the things that is that that I do is I deconstruct dogmatic religion, yeah because i think dogmatic religion has has uh claimed or or just laid claim to a lot of concepts in our society that uh that when we don't participate in dogmatic religion, those things can be easily become unavailable to us or be experienced as uh things that we don't want to deal with or or think aren't true because they're part of that religion over there or whatever. So yeah. uh, so I take things that exist within these con-spiritual spaces, dogmatic spaces, and then I grab them and I pull them out and put them into a, a, a spiritual but not religious context or even just an ontological context. So uh, I would say that I, I think of the unconscious part of our minds, which is which is the majority of our mind is our unconscious mind. It's receiving and processing so much more information than my conscious mind right now. Yeah. It's what's telling me what to say, even though my conscious mind thinks I'm thinking about it. Like when I speak very fast and it all comes out at once, I'm not doing a lot of conscious thinking. Right, right, yeah. I'm letting my unconscious mind just be the wise one, and then I just open my mouth and it comes out. Like none of this is planned. I don't have any notes or anything, you know. Yeah. Uh, So our unconscious selves, I relate to that as our spirit. Yeah. It is invisible. It is vast. It is doing the majority of the work that gives us our experience of life and our direction of life. And so to me, I take that and say, that's what our spirit is. It's not a ghost that, you know, God breathed into us. It's like, no, that's just a practical part of your mind. Yeah. Um, and it's not all good. Like, it's not all helpful. Like, there's stuff, and lots of stuff in your unconscious mind that's messy and that's junk that you picked up because you were hurt when you were a kid. And also, it's, you know, the spirit isn't like just the pure parts of yourself, it's your collection of stories that are interacting with the experiences that you're having. Your, your spirit is spinning out stories all the time and then, like picking the ones that it likes or that seem to make sense, you know? also related to, I've said soul in this too, and I would say that the soul is a is the innate qualities of the distinction of self that come through you as a being when your spirit isn't um, filled with a bunch of junk <laughs> that's like stopping that, you know? Uh, and so what this dialogue, what this conversation to me has been about is telling a story of how a person's soul is there trying to fight through the confusion of its spirit. Being a young person and then going to college. And when that that teacher told me, like, oh, yeah, you could be a poet, in that moment she was, like, telling me that there was soul. Mm-hmm. there was profound soul pouring through me and my spirit showed up and was like, no, 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 no. I'm too scared. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. You know? And then I go, you know, then I have an experience of addiction with, uh, you know, cannabis and then I have a kid and then I do the landmark stuff and, and I awaken into the idea of magic and wizardry in terms of how we get to be, um, distinct beings. And all of that is, you know, and all the way to now in psycho pumping. I want to help other people. That's what shows up. Like uh, the reason that I make art, the songs that I write. That's my soul coming through into this universe, into my social group, the circle of me, and then all the lines that come out to me from me. Yeah, trying to pour something into this environment that will heal. And it will lift everyone up. I I just can't help it. You know, I'm gonna really choose to, and I love it. And so, for me being a life coach, that's why. It's not like I was like, I'm gonna be a life coach, and I'm gonna figure out how to do that. Yeah. It's like I just kind of kept helping people, and I had enough people come up to me and tell me like, Oh my God, you changed this life, my life in this way. I have a guy who wears a, a wristband. When he came to me, to show, he's like, Look at this and they had a date on it and uh i was like wow it's a cool wristband you know and he's like no no no. this date is the day that you and i had a conversation about love and i had actually left my church at that time uh not too far back and i like crossed me in my community i did awesome. i was just like oh i'm, I'm the people that i would you know, see regularly, they were gone. And I felt so alone and lost. And I was like, how do I regenerate this? I don't know if I can. And then the conversation that you and I had, uh, I got how to do it. And that changed my life. And I had this wristband, this leather wristband made with a medallion on it and everything to help me remember the date that you and I had that conversation. And I was just like, wow, that's amazing. You know, I... Yeah, uh, and, and you know, I have I had enough kinds of things like that occur where I'm like, okay, I just I can create structure around this and do it as much as I can because it seems like what I'm here to do. As okay. my soul comes through, yeah, it's a, a pure expression of my being. So what there is to do is to not, not do it.
1: <laughs> I gotta tell you that out here it's, it's evident to us as well. <laughs> so, um, it's always powerful to talk to you, my friend. And I think that that is a wonderful place to stop.
2: Thank you, Ryan.
0: Uh, <laughs> we're definitely going to have to do this again because there's a, there's a lot more to talk
1: about. <laughs> All right, guys, that was the show with Scott. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. You can find Scott online at Automythic.com. I highly, highly recommend him, of course. Um, you can find us online at Ryan I recommend you check out Ryan Watts forward slash Success IQ to get your free Success IQ assessment. And really, what this digs into is uh, emotional intelligence and how that is important to drive your success. So thank you again for listening. Uh, Until next time, all the best.